Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How was your Monday? Uh, I'm tired today, Dennis. I was up a lot this weekend. I, my, my class kept me up for one thing, but mm. not as much as um, playing a game, a, a game which we'll get to later. So I've got myself a new game obsession, and it's making me tired. And it's a stinking MMO, which mm. makes sense, right? That's mm-hmm, what they do. Mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. They, they make you exhausted and want to stay up and keep playing. So this one is doing that. But we won't get there next. How, how is? Are you in Texas still? Even the, the warm weather? I'm still in Texas. So um, for uh, people listening to this a week from now, might not remember, depending on where you are, but a big uh, cold front and, and winter storm system came through the U.S., the, the middle of the U.S. Uh, last, oh, yeah. I fr- forgot to mention that that happened, too. Last week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, depending on where you were. Um, I was back up in Lake Whitney, which is south of Dallas, and had had planned to go around. There are a number of parks kind of in a perimeter around uh, around Dallas, and I was going to go north and west. And I saw the storm system coming and the changes in weather, and I said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, my, I, You know, I do have heat and stuff in my camper, but... If it gets too cold outside, my water stops working because the hose hooking it up will freeze. Um, and so I was like, I don't want to do that. And so I came back down south, uh, north of Houston. And now uh, that was the first half of the week. And now I'm back out in uh, on the other side of San Antonio. It's still in Texas. Still in Texas. So, so, so what I'm hearing is that you didn't have a foot of snow dropped on your head. No, no, I had not seen any snow. There was some freezing rain uh, Thursday. Um, I went out to, what, get food, and um, the steps down out of my camper were icy. They're metal with big, like, ridges on them, so they can take quite a bit of ice before they come become dangerous, apparently, mm. but which is probably... More for like scraping mud or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's, I didn't fall and injure myself or anything, but I was like, "Oh, there is ice on these steps." We we had we were in the middle, and here here in sunny Bloomington, in Indiana, had mm-hmm. we're right on like we usually are. We're right on that line of um, it's icy snow. It's icy water snow mix, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it it, yeah. it was during the day. So crazy because last week we got up to. As people will know, the warm front came through and it was almost, it was like 60 degrees. So we were outside doing lawn work and getting things out of the garage and it was really nice. And then three days later, it's six degrees outside. But during that time is when it started and it was like 38 during the day. So it was rain. And then as it started, it kept constant rain and kept going and nighttime, it got down to 28. So all that turned Mm. into ice all over the backyard was just a solid layer of it was like a lake it, you know because there's so much so much water streaming across mm. the streets and stuff that all just became a straight ice uh world and then overnight it stopped icing and you know snowed so we had a good half inch of ice on everything with snow all over on top of it it was not great um and then it continued to snow yeah. and we got several many inches um, we just still have it. We're, I mean, we're still digging it out now. Our, just until yesterday was the first day our 
um, our city finally came off the warning, which means we could actually go out and drive on the streets without, um, you know, having to go to the grocery because everything was closed and couldn't be closed. Mm. Open. Right. Uh, yeah. So right. it's, it's been, it's been pretty, pretty yucky here. Today was the first day that I got out in it and my Mustang did okay driving, but I had to go through some snow and broke off a little bit of the bumper bottom and it wasn't, it didn't make me happy. Oh, that's not, uh, that's not what you want. Yeah. I think, I think it comes off. Yeah. We, see. we didn't get any snow here. The worst of it was, I think Thursday, because I traveled on Wednesday thinking that it would be the front would come through in the afternoon, and it really didn't come through until late evening. Thursday, it was below freezing all day. And I mean, it was like 27 in the morning and got to like 34 at around 5 in the afternoon and then started to get cold again. And... Out here, I think the last two days it's been like 50. It might have gotten up. I think it's getting up to 60 in like the afternoon, like the warmest part of the afternoon and then uh, getting back cold again. I think it's probably still getting maybe not quite freezing, but close to freezing, like down to 35. The, the absolute um, worst, the absolute worst of all of this is that mm -hmm. the poor kids don't get out of school anymore. Like they... Mm -hmm. What was this? The big snowstorm came through on a Wednesday, and everything was icy and bad through Friday, and um, well, I mean, still through the weekend. But on on Tuesday, they called off school. Oh, I went. Let me. All right, sorry. Let me take that back. Thursday is when the snowstorm came, and they canceled school Tuesday for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So it was just it was just plain rainy on Wednesday. But because because mm. now they don't actually cancel school, you go online school. They were just right. they were just like, yeah, kids, we're gonna go online, which sucks because kids still have to get up and show up for classes, or mm -hmm. they skip classes, or it's just a terrible situation all around. And school corporations now are like, yeah, we can just do that now instead of letting the kids out of school, which used to be great. Yeah, up, you know. I remember somebody saying that uh, back in 2020, somebody on Twitter or whatever, that, you know, their kid was like, ah, oh, we're never going to have school days again. Snow days. And yeah. the, and the, and uh, uh, yeah, snow days. And the parent was like, uh, this was the moment when I realized that, that we, we were never going back. Like yep. the, the changes that this has done for good or ill whatever like everything that happened in the first half or the whatever the middle of 2020 like made made changes to our society that are you know that can't be undone i 100 percent agree and, and not in a like I'm, we find out. I'm not making a value judgment about that just say like no yeah i know what you mean yeah this is not a yes there were parts of it that were temporary that that did go back, but there are changes and it it is that I don't know, people overuse the expression new normal, but that's how that's how life in society is, right? Like things change and you know. Yeah, we 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 don't we well, I still have Zoom meetings for everything now. Like and, mm. and we don't have to. Like we can go we can we still have to wear masks at the university, but we can definitely go in the same rooms and have meetings in the same room with our with our right. masks. But Nobody does. It's all still Zoom meetings, right? 
Um, like from your office? Everybody's the from their offices. Yeah. And, and has, hmm. Because some people are, you know, they have different hybrid schedules to work from home. Some people will, oh, will have, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, their office is in another building and they don't have to walk. But before you would just schedule a, a meeting for, say, Monday at, at nine o'clock. And then people would work around the meetings, right? Or, or work around getting sure. together with your boss or whatever it is. And now it's, it's just Zoom, Zoom meetings. You know, you just, it's just easier to do it that way. So our, like you said, the world has changed and they're not going to go back. They're not going to go back where we yeah. don't use Zoom meetings. You know? I mean, it, at, some, at some point people transitioned from, you know, doing everything in person or maybe sending letters to, you know, using a phone. Yeah. Right? That happens in the first season of... Uh, of Downton Abbey, they get a phone and they're like, what in the world do we need a phone for? Right. Um, and then, you know, by the, by the third or fourth season, they're using it all the time. Right. Um, I saw, I saw a, uh, a meme the other day about how kids today will never know the difficulties. And it showed a girl laying on the floor next to the wall, holding the phone that was attached to the wall. You know, cause, right, cause right. you talk to your friends, so you're just sitting on the floor next to the phone. You sort of pace around the room, but you can't go. Can't go too far. Uh, I've, I've probably said this before. I have a a strong sense memory of um, my grandparents' house. My grandma had the phone that sat on the desk, and there was a desk just outside the kitchen, mm-hmm. and it had the super long. So the cord, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I assume most of our listeners are are around our age, so I don't really have to explain this, but. There was a cord going from the wall to the phone, like, base. Yes. And then the handset, was a piece you held in your hand, it had a curly cord, right? A stretchy yeah. uh, a cord. And her phone had that stretchy cord that was, like, 10 feet long or something. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Like, as a kid, so I remember it longer. I remember it huge. Right. But, like, probably, like, 6 feet when it was you know, tight when it was curled up. And so she could take that and stretch it and walk around the whole kitchen (laughs) um, with this cord behind her. And you'd like get, you have to duck under it. And as they were talking. Yeah. 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 Those, those were, those were the days I I saw another one where it it was all this, you know, kids will never, kids will never know. Like sure. One was uh, like, there was a button on the, boom boxes that were called, just said mega boost so or mega base mm. you know you click it and it gives you mega base uh, right. another one was how you unfriend, unfriended people and it was a yearbook and it had somebody's face all scratched out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great when you didn't have to yeah, have these you, things you you found a facebook account with some boomer memes did you yeah I, I, somebody had sent it to me or something <laughs> like that but the uh it's funny it, it i will say not not to get get old man here but you know, it, it clearly was. I do believe. I know the internet. We say the internet changed the world, which, which is probably for our generation the biggest thing is obviously the internet. But um, smartphones, honestly, I think was probably the biggest. And having handheld portable internet on your on your in your hand computers yeah. was probably mm-hmm. the the biggest that that you could. Um, you, you had, or just, maybe not just a smartphone, maybe just the cell phone. The fact that you were never not in contact with people from then on, right? Um, going to yeah. you know that yeah, and, and even like text I mean, messaging, you know, the the one the yeah the cell phone was one, and then the smartphone was another, and I don't feel like 
and I don't know, maybe it's just because the time all all blurs together. But I think it wasn't there wasn't very much time between like universal cell phone adoption when you like you you ran out of people who didn't have cell phones there was wasn't very long in between that when people started to get smartphones like yeah. real smartphones yeah. not like you Red know phones. the razors and stuff yeah. but like you know that would maybe have a crappy web browser on them but like the iphone and yeah. the other smartphones when it started to really become usable um you know you're watching that was a very short turnaround i would say within five years of Full adoption of cell phones into... And then there was a new there was a new sort of long tail where you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so still has a flip phone. You know, they don't have a smartphone yet, so we got a text um, or whatever. And then that, you know, that was like another five, maybe ten years. Not ten years. Like, I don't think by 2017, 18, we, we had run out of friends without smartphones yeah i i will say though as much as much as i am a tech guy and and i'm in the industry i was a holdout i really was a holdout for a long time i i and and it was a deliberate holdout it was uh i didn't want to be always in connection with people like i i liked to go to work and not have to talk to like um my family you know i didn't have to to from my wife Mm. have to you know text me and remind me about things or, or have to have conversations with a specific person or a friend always texting me about stuff. I, I could just go to work and you'd get emails, but you know, you didn't have to respond to that kind of thing. And I just did not like the, the instant need of attention front sure. that, that that had. And that really, that really bothered me. I mean, it still really bothers me today. And I've, uh, people go through it. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's, it's, it's a real problem with like a, a a real problem, like a mental problem or whatever people have with controlling themselves with, you know, Mm. needs of social pressures with texting and messaging and saying connection like that. So it's a, it's a new psychosis that's come along with that. But yeah, I did, I did not want to do that. So I I waited for as long as I could. And then it was eventually, I think work was what it was. Um, when, when I started having to to develop stuff for the smartphones and I was doing early design work. Yeah. I've, I've never been, you know, anti-futurist about tech in in most ways, except once in a while. Like, uh, I I was off the 3D bandwagon pretty quickly, and I think I was really skeptical about VR for a while. Mm. And I'm still, like, it still is not the vision of what I imagine, and maybe it will be someday, but... Um, and so I never had that. It was more a question of, of expense and, you know, whether I could afford it. Like I, when I was still in college, had a Palm Pilot, even though I didn't really need one. I used it to read and take notes on in class and stuff Yeah, uh, and play games. So all the things that people do with smartphones, just it didn't, it wasn't a phone. Um, and I grew up in a rural area where we had to drive all the time and it, you know, winter weather, we, we, we were talking about that earlier. Um, and so the cell phones became like a safety thing, you know, when you yeah. slide off the road or your right. car breaks down or something. Oh, that was another reason too. We got cell phones because, because my, I didn't want my did. wife to fall off the side of the road. Right. 
Yeah. 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 I will say, well, but the last bit about technology and craziness, I, okay. I obviously grew up with our, our buddy, Mike Trotsky, who we've said multiple times as a neophile and, and he was forever. It was mm-hmm. like 96, maybe 95. And I remember I hadn't seen him for a, a bit and I came back and we were at like a birthday party or something. And he comes and he shows me this new thing that he's so excited about that somebody let him at school borrow. And it was, it was the size of, oh, um, I'd say it's about four or five inches tall by okay. 16 inches wide by 16 inches long. So it's kind of a, and it's, so it's a big rectangle brick, right? Okay. And, and half of it pulls up and it was a laptop, but only like mm. it in half of it, would it flip up? So like the back half or anything, it was just this real big, heavy thing that had this really kind of small monitor that flipped up on it. And he was like, this is the future. Okay. This is, this is a computer that I can carry around with me. And mm. he, he was, he was completely <laughs> freaking out about it. And I was like, that thing is ugly and terrible and you can't do anything else, but like DOS on it. <laughs> it was awful. Um, sure. but he, he was super, he was super excited about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. how And, and in a that. way, not wrong. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, no stuff yeah. takes, takes time. Trotsky's the first person I knew who, uh, uh, he got the first iPhone. Of course, right yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Uh, it, and we were like, we all gathered around and we were like, oh, look, and it plays YouTube videos. You can just watch. You could take the YouTube video with you anyway. Yeah, right. Like, it's kind of hilarious to look back on, you know, 10, 10 15 years later. But I mean, some some, uh, some technology you can big. always go and see, like, this is definitely the wave of the future. I think a lot of people can go to, like, a CES and see... Oh yeah, this is this is going to be a thing. There's no question about it because it's too amazing not to be, right? Right. But adopting it's another thing. Like ado- like buying a thing, it, it to me is that is not something I like to do. Like I, I, for example, I remember there's this one that I had gotten. It was this. It was a portable game thing. It was. It really was. It was a game, uh, mm. like the size of an iPhone now, right? And it was a game machine. Right. And it was that big, but it had like three games on it and no support, right? And they were just kind of basic mm. uh, 16-bit type games. Um, yeah. So more like a Palm Pilot type thing. But it was around when like Palm Pilots were around. So it was new and exciting and wave of the future type stuff. And I, I took a big risk on spending a ton of money on it. But, you know, when you get things that are too far ahead of their time, too early, there's no real fun in it. Yeah, you're taking you're taking the risk being the early adopter. Yeah, get 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 an iPhone, but don't have the internet. You know, right? You still like edge network stuff, right? There's no good, no good networks. Yeah. Uh, networks to support it. And, and, well, anyway, <laughs> speaking of what are what are, what I mean, at several times in this conversation, I've had I've had opportunities for segue to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned in the first half, no, the latter half of last week, I was back. Um, in uh, at Lake Conroe, north of Houston, and it was still pretty cold. Like it's it's too cold for me to like, you know, just go out and go on walks and stuff. I mentioned it was below freezing all day Thursday, so I just stayed in the break. And I was like, what should I, what should I do? Like, should I go out and do something? Um, our friends who are from Texas or lived in Texas uh, mentioned Galveston. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's an island uh, down mm-hmm. south in the Gulf Coast, south of Houston, to get seafood and stuff. Oh, nice. Like, oh, yeah. Let's, 
that's that's two hours from where I was camping. And I'm like, I could just drive down there. What else are you um, going to do, Dennis? What else are you going to do? What else am I going to do? Well, I did end up driving, but not as far as Galveston. I went down past Houston to NASA. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've been waiting for this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. South of Houston is the uh, Johnson Space Center where they have mission control. NASA. I, I have never and been always wanted to be I've, I've been to Kennedy multiple times so I'm I'm excited to hear about like what they have what do they do what you what was the experience so walk us through it so, what you do when you pull up in there so I've never been to um um Kennedy okay. in in Florida uh but I drove down there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know there's a parking lot and they've got um the USS Enterprise the Enterprise, there, yeah. yes, right um, there, parked in there. It's uh, it's mounted on top of the seven forty seven. NASA bought those seven forty sevens from American Airlines to move the shuttles oh. around. Um, back in the late seventies, early eighties, I think eighty one, they started the shuttle program. You were super geeking out, um, right, right, right. And it's the it's the the mock up. It's not one that went into space, but they used it for training and and testing and stuff. But it's there. It's sitting there and it's huge and um then you they also have one of the uh, i'm not gonna remember which one they have one of the space spacex rockets there that's like i don't know if it's still in use like it's it's up on display so maybe they used it a couple times and now they have new ones mm. uh that they use because those spacex rockets uh, that's harder to say than i anticipated um are reusable, right? They land, right. and you've probably seen those videos. That, that, that little, those cool. old shuttles, like, I think it's Independence down there, right? I think it's the actual one that's down where you, you had seen. Um, it might be. Yeah. I it's I, I lose track of the names. I know Enterprise is one, and Endeavor, Endeavor and Challenger, uh, Challenger, Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think, um, I, but I, those, aren't those amazing? They're like, they are, spa- they're legit spaceships, right? Like, yeah yeah it's it's wild and so one of the things you can do is you can go inside both the the jet and the shuttle oh that's cool and it's you know it's sort of a museum so you can't you know there's stuff behind plexiglass but you can see like you look in the in the cargo bay of the shuttle and you're like there's a big um what did they have i don't know if it was real but they had what looked like a hughes net um uh, satellite like packaged up oh in there right so there's Neat. a big there's a big satellite in there and you can see the the um the airlock right behind the 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 mo- like front end yeah. module and then like the flight deck is above and it's not a full flight deck but a lot of the switches and things are there that they use for training there's some like blank panels man um, seeing that stuff doesn't it make you like a little sad. I mean, I know we've got Dragon and it's kind of cool and with SpaceX and things, but that's, I remember the first time I saw, I saw Atlantis is what I saw. Um, mm. I don't think I got as close as, I mean, we got close, but we never got, I mean, it's kind of in Kennedy that it's tilted and you can see inside of it what you don't get. To, I think you got to go closer than I ever got to. Um, okay. But it's still like, I, I remember seeing it and thinking like, we don't have this anymore. Now it's, it's gone back to like, you know, shuttles little shuttlecocks and things that go up there it's not the same yeah little little capsules and they're working on their next thing the um artemis 
uh, Orion. Something. No, oh, the heavy Orion. lift. You're talking about the, uh, that's the Orion, I it's believe, so, right? Yeah, Orion. Orion is part of it. Maybe Orion. Like one thing is the is the ship, and the other part is the program. I don't know. I'm oh, right. a, yeah, yeah. I remember being just. I'm not e- a real equally a real confused NASA NASA geek, but it's um, yeah, it's what they're going to use to make trips back and forth to Mars, and right. they have robots and and stuff, and so. Um, that was one thing you could do. The inside was a whole museum where they had models of things and some like landers and, and rockets and stuff that you could see and get close to and look inside and prototypes. And then they have, because the museum is um, separate from the actual uh, Johnson Space Center, mm-hmm. um, they have trams that oh, go outside yes, right. yeah. um, and take you back and forth to the actual you know, what's still actual government land. Yeah. Um, and so it's, we it's got that to way in see... Kennedy the same way too. Okay. We got to see the, um, the building where they do mock-ups of um, like modules that they're going to put on that, you know, that they might put on the ISS and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, which is really just like a big sort of factory floor, but with a bunch of, you know, um, um, space station parts right little rooms and capsules and they've got a big model of the iss up on the wall um and it was uh it was saturday so there was nobody in there i don't know if there are normally people working in there probably yeah um i know some of that's been scaled back but i assume there's still i mean and there's stuff in there that wasn't strictly nasa like i saw boeing stuff um I don't know if I saw any SpaceX stuff, but like, you know, other people in the tour, because the, you know, the tram takes you there and then you walk through right. people are like, Oh, look, there's a, uh, what was it? Wasn't maybe Lockheed or another one of those. And the guys are like, yeah, this is the stuff they make. They're like, look guys, we're making spaceship parts. Pay no attention to this other stuff we're doing. We're doing this. Isn't it cool? <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of right, kind of thing, and then um, they have a what do you call it? Um, reconstruction is probably the best word, but they have a combination of the leftover parts from the last three Apollo rockets. Oh yeah, yeah. Put together because because some of them they used to make um, Skylab and stuff mm-hmm. in the in the seventies in the yeah late seventies early eighties. But they had enough parts left that they could assemble a complete Saturn V rocket. And, you know, we just watched For All Mankind. And so I'm more familiar with, with some of these terms than I would have been, you know, a year ago. Right. And we drove past it because it's a big, you know, just a big metal-sided building, like a great big warehouse. And it's got the outline of the rocket along the side of it. And I'm like... Oh, it's in there. I wonder if we're going to get to go in there <laughs> or if it's a thing. And I seriously, I mean, so by the time I saw the Saturn V, I had already seen, I hadn't gone in the shuttle, but I had seen the shuttle and the jet and I'd seen the other rockets. And I was like, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I'm, I drove down and looked at all this stuff. So I'm interested yeah, yeah. in that stuff, but I'm not, I'm not super geeky, you know. I never went to space camp. Sure, I saw the movie saw Space the movie. Camps many times, but um, 
I, I walked into this building and it's obviously lying on its side, but the Saturn V rocket is right there and you can see it. You can't touch it. There's a gate, you know, there's a fence around it, but like I took so many pictures of it. And every time I look at a picture on my phone, I'm like, this is not, it, it's not conveying the sense of scale. Like <laughs> right. this thing is gigantic. Yeah. No, no matter how you zoom in, put your face in there, stand it. No, it still is not. Like widen, widen it out so I can get all the people walking around. And I'm like, they're walking around, but they're not that close to it. And then you look and there was a, um, a person there demonstrating all the little parts and like where the, no, she had a model, right? I'm mm-hmm. hands, you can't see. She had a model that was probably, I don't know, with the whole rocket, maybe a little over a foot tall. I walked up toward the end when she was just showing the the lunar um, the lunar module and the lander and where the lander is stored and how they pull it out of the thing and it opens up and it attaches and the things turn around and all of that. Um, and so I'm looking at it and I'm like, they do this and then there's this by the time they get to the moon or you know by the time they're in the on the way to the moon there's so much and i knew this right like i've seen apollo 13 i've seen movies i've seen watched for all mankind and you're like you know and i've you know from from even space camp you're like the shuttle has all this extra stuff right the the tank and the two boosters that that get it up there and so like conceptually i knew that that was true but standing there looking at it looking at the real thing I'm like what comes back when they splash down in the ocean is this tiny little cone little bitty thing this tiny little cone at the top of this gigantic thing that they needed a huge warehouse like they say they call it saturn five because it has five rockets on the bottom of it mm-hmm. and each of those rockets is this this gigantic cone um they had one of them outside this engines um isn't that insane like just to get that little bitty thing up there yeah yeah it's it's wild um i, I still don't so, i still don't get it i still don't get like i i just it's beyond i, I tell sid when I, I was inspired by your pictures and i, I was talking to her about mm. it and i was like I, I I can just say words. She was there. She's seen <laughs> she's seen this stuff, right? So so I can kind mm-hmm. of have that like I'm talking to you, this communal all that you don't get until you experience it. Like I cannot get how big this humongous thing you need this to get this little bitty thing up there. And then it's really, really small. Like it's when I say small, I remember in the one in Kennedy with the Saturn V rocket, one of the Apollo rockets, it was like you could mm-hmm. actually get up there and look. Like you can't get into it, but you use plexiglass and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's just like three, two or three seats. Right. And that's it. And I'm like, they had to go to the moon in that, right? Yeah. Well, well, that's what's left, right? Like they, cause, like it's just so, like you leave this trail of debris basically mm-hmm, behind mm-hmm. you. Like when they get to the moon, like, there's a there's a um a stage I think they call them stages. There's a stage holding the limb, and so they disconnect the front part and turn it around and hook it up to the limb and pull it mm-hmm. out, and then that stage holding the limb is just garbage. Yeah, and then the limb goes down to the surface, and it lands, 
the bottom half of it stays on the moon. There are like six or six of them or whatever still up there. Right. Because just the top half goes back up and then it connects to the to the lunar module that's in orbit that, um, you know, the third astronaut, Michael Collins, and then whoever after him uh, stayed in. And the two who landed get in that module and then they leave the LEM behind too. Yeah. And then just that what is what's now a relatively small capsule uh, goes back to the surface or goes back to Earth and then they leave all but the very top of it uh, to burn up in the atmosphere. Right. Yeah, it's, well, it's well, kind of crazy. The thing about that, though, is. How do I say this? Um, you, you had mentioned like how people can get upset of all the waste. Right, uh, it's just thrown back in the ocean or into space or whatever. These little bit well, things yeah. left on the things. I, I can, I get that. I, I do get that. I think that. So, you know, the the space race and the Cold War was a terrible time in history that was very difficult to live through. Right. Sure. sure. Um, and, but as we learn of learn and are taught in like, for all mankind, for example. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was things like that where we had to say, you know, we could we can go where we create a rocket that that never has any waste, that never has any, that is one hundred percent environmentally safe, that you know is able to bring the entire ship back and and go, and then we would never have been up into space for three hundred years later, right? And then by then, maybe we wouldn't have wanted to do that in different technologies, and then we'd move on to the next thing. But because of things like the Cold War and the pressure to get to a thing, we we focused on the minimum one thing that we needed to do to get done, right? Which was sure. put yeah. one person up into space. And when you do that, you're like, at all costs, the one little thing. And it's it's incredible to me that all of this that we you talked about, this huge and this size, was it was the minimum to do to put up just one human or two humans into space i'm like oh my god that's it's insane yeah yeah and and i wasn't i only said that just you know it's it's easy to look back right because we have things like like spacex technology where things are more reusable but i understand that you know at the time there was no better way to do it it's just baffling to stand in front and look at it and go wow there's so much of it like i get that they couldn't you know re-entry is the hard part and so you know some 10 years later 10 years 12 years later they had a completely new system that was this like plane this plane they could take into space and bring back down and you're like okay yeah now we're like there's still waste it's still you know incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. but now it's you know it's this new thing that's how the technology so the the last thing I want to say about this, which was the really the coolest part. Like the, there were moments of sort of awe, even for somebody like me mm-hmm. who's not I'm, mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle on on the whole NASA space you know thing. Not a super fan, but not a hater. Right. Um, seeing the shuttle was cool. I was like, okay, I'm in the right place. Um, you know, because I'm driving in traffic. I don't know, you know, where I'm at. Uh, seeing the Saturn V was, you know, kind of breathtaking. Then, um, in the tour of, um, the mission control building, 
uh, they drove us around, you know, so we went past those same buildings that I'd seen before with the Saturn V and all that. And then you see the building. And the the buildings, I think, are all kind of the same as they were in the 60s. And they have a really distinct kind of architecture. The, it used to be a college, and there's all this stuff they explain on tour. And then they have a flag above the mission control building that um, they fly whenever there's an astronaut in space. Oh. An American. Okay. And since we have always had somebody in the ISS, they've had a flag up there for 20 years. Oh, cool. Right, since we since we put the ISS up. Um, and the building, is it's still the same building. You're right. And they have, um, they have the control centers on floors. And they have a control center that's still in use, mm-hmm. right, for for the people in the ISS. Um, and we couldn't see that. Like, at one point, they used to do tours um, in there, and they would take people into the, the viewing room. Uh-huh. Um, and they found it too distracting, and, you know, NASA asked them to stop. Yeah. And so then they started doing tours in Mission Control for the Orion program, which is, you know, all new and updated, but isn't being used yet. Yep. Um, and then when COVID happened, they asked them not to do that either because they're like, we don't want to have to deal with, you know, cleaning Protocols and sanitizing and, this yeah. and, and, and all of that stuff. And somewhere in the course of that, I didn't get the exact, like, history of the events. And the only reason I know about that is because somebody asked it on the tour. Um, on the floor above the active control room where they they do the iss stuff they recreated and restored you know it's like what stuff they still had they brought in and and restored the original things and then you know um gathered up artifacts or recreated things you know they've got what look like oh i'm jumping ahead of the punchline um they've restored and recreated mission control as it was during the Apollo program. Right. That's so cool. It's very cool. And and, and, and you are... recognized it from the show that you've been watching. Yeah, I mean, we just watched For All Mankind, and so we, we go up the stairs, like long, like four flights of stairs or whatever, and turn into this room, and it's that room with the red upholstery and the chairs and the glass and the wood rail at the front. And I'm like, oh, this this the room. It, like, gave me chills a little bit. Yeah. I'm like... And I'm I'm remembering it from a show, right? So it's a combination of like show and also real, right? Um, but they had like what looked like big old tube TVs uh, up on the walls on either side where they would show the news, and I assume that those have like LCD screens or whatever in them, mm-hmm. but they look like the old TVs. And then you can see all the all the consoles, and they have talking about old phones. Um, the consoles have rotary dials, like rotary right. phones. And I'm like, was this how they would put in numbers if they needed to yeah. do? And there were buttons. And there's a guy in there, you know, a little bit of an older guy talking, giving the rundown. And he pointed out, none of those are computers. <laughs> They're just screens. They're just TVs. Right. And I'm also looking around and I'm like, I can see where, you know, some art imitates life or whatever you know i mean obviously there was the space program before the moon landing right um 
like the layout of the buttons and the screens, it looks a little bit like original series Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like some of the screens are up and some of them are down. There's screens everywhere and all these giant buttons, and that's how it was. Yeah, you, you um I can I can only imagine that your feeling would have been like is if you walked on the Enterprise, but then realized that this just wasn't the movie set Enterprise. This was a real working Enterprise, right? Yeah, kind of like real, I saw it on TV, but this is right. real. It's it's both because it's because it's something real. It's something that I mean, it was before I was born, but it was not so far long ago that they can't you know really recreate it all pretty accurately, right? And so he talked for a while, and then the lights went down, and they have this, um, this uh, what do you want to call it? Just like a a presentation where they have audio recordings of the Apollo Eleven landing, and so the lights go down, and then all these consoles in the mission control light up, and the screens come on, and the data displays go on the big screens on the wall. And I was like, this, this is the coolest thing I've seen today. <laughs> the coolest thing. I'd already seen the Saturn V. So it was like, it was that, but it was like, you know, for just a few moments, I, I felt like I was there. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like, it's an empty room, right? There are no people, but I'm like, I can just picture it full of people, you know? Partly how it actually was, and partly yeah. again from watching for all and, mankind. And you're but, like part of the family watching that would be watching a real thing, right? From right. that perspective, just, just like um, Aleda does early on, and Margot mm -hmm. finds her in there, and she's like, you know, watching and, and doing math on the on right the in that kind of a space. Yeah, the I I I was I was so if you were middle ground, I was. Um, I'd say definitely a fan. I'm a different, I, I wouldn't go as far as super fan where I could name people and every controller and every system. Right. But I, I was a kid that was a big fan of NASA, you know, sure. saw it as, you know, I, I, while I liked shows like Star Trek and, and, uh, the forbidden planet and a lot of those old shows that were, you know, space oriented, it was NASA was the, like the creme de la creme, the coolest thing in space thing in the world huge astronomy person always that was my dream as a kid to be an astronaut uh, so mm. when i went to nasa for real i was like I, I can still feel it i can still feel the the awash in awe of what i'm seeing in front of me and as you as you were talking i kept i kept thinking like i didn't see what you saw with that i've not seen that control center control room mm -hmm. but i i what i the things that i did see were so powerful. I couldn't imagine even walking into that room, how powerful that would be from that kind of, you know, just seeing the ghosts in my head of, of, you know, people walking around there and, yeah. and, and what yeah. that might be. Um, I, one, one quick story I had with NASA before we move on with subjects was, um, I was, I, we were doing a Disney vacation with me and my ex-wife, uh, wife at the time. Mm -hmm. And we were, it was just she and I, so it had to have been, again, it was just a time we were out there. And we were going uh, to, I don't know, it was Florida for some reason. And we decided one of our one of our days we were going to go to Cocoa Beach, uh, Cape, Cape Canaveral, and um, uh, the Kennedy Space Center, right? So we went over mm -hmm. there, and, it was, you know, super nerd. I'm super excited about it. And, and, I, and I go do all the things. That's the first time I saw the Saturn V, and I was really happy. And as, as it starts to get late, 
I'm doing the, I'm going to spend as long as this place is open with these places, <laughs> right? Like as long as I can sit here and touch and touch the, the Apollo rocket, I'm going to touch it. Right. Your, your family loved that. I'm sure it, it was just, it was just me and her. So she was totally fine with it. Uh, and, oh. and, and I get even to that, like, I just want to stare at the wires that are going, where does this wire go all the way around? And where does this pipe come to? And, you know, what's that little gidget on the side of the rocket for in this little spot? So stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I was just staying as long as they could. And, and she knew that, too. So she was totally fine with it. But um, as the park gets to uh, to close, we're just in the museum-ish area, right? And we're mm-hmm. kind of towards the, the front where the parking lot area is. Um, we saw... Um, there's a ticket booth where you can get tickets for the, the tours and the shows and things like that. Um, had mm-hmm. a few people standing in line of it. And we were, as we were kind of walking back to the museum for the last hour. And uh, my ex was like, Hey, you know, what are they, are they doing a movie or something like that? Well, you want to get a movie or things? And I went, looked up and they were having a rocket launch, a shuttle launch that night, like of the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was general public viewing tickets that you can only get if you are there in that museum at night, the night, the day. Of. Okay. Um, okay. So actually this was about two hours before the, the park, the park closed and they had just, they were going to just start opening up the line to sit and wait for tickets. Um, and I said, wait, it's real. Cause I went and asked, asked like an usher guy or security person who was standing there. He's like, yeah, we're, we're just mm-hmm. opening it up. These like five people here are waiting for me to open it up so that they can stand in line to stand in line. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's cool. And, and, and then my ex was like, do you, do you want to stand in line? There? I was like, can we, can we, can we? Um, <laughs> so we did, we sat there and we sat down in line and talked to a couple from Iowa or North Dakota or something like that for a half hour. Then they opened up the line. And then for two hours, we, we stood in line to just to see if we can get tickets. Cause there's only so many. Um, okay. and then we went and we did, we did successfully get tickets. And I was like, holy cow. And they gave us this packet and they said, um, Come back later tonight. This was like at, uh, I don't know, the, the thing closed at two or three, something like that on launch day. Um, okay. So they said, come back at seven. And, oh, it was the next day. Sorry, it was the next day. Because I remember we went back home. Seven the next day. And they gave us this whole certain way to get to the to Kennedy Space Center. Um, and things we had to put in our car and a whole protocol stuff. So we went and we went home the next day we came back and we canceled all our plans. Cause we we're going to go to this, um, <laughs> came back at seven o'clock and they had, um, a high, the highway was completely blocked off with traffic because people would come from miles around to watch as close as they could to watch the shuttle take off. It was a nighttime launch, which is even more spectacular. Mm. So all of Cocoa Beach, all of Cape Canaveral, everything, all the highways are jam-packed full of people just watching the launch. Um, sure. So they took us on this. We had to go on this side highway, uh, like U.S. highway, and to this right. gate that they had with military people. And you had to show the, the badge and your car had to have the, the stuff on the sticker thing you put on it. And then they, mm-hmm. they wave you in and we go back towards this back way towards the museum area. Where we are taken off our cars and we go into a queue outside into lines and we sit there for another two hours. So we all just sat down and talked for two hours. And there's only about mm-hmm. 50 people. We're waiting on buses and they come with Turner right. buses and they take us out to the closest viewing point that any civilian can be. And that is across the lake from the launch thing. It's where the countdown right. clock is, where the families go. Yeah. And it's nighttime. 
And I was, you know, again, I'm just, I keep beside myself that this is really happening, right? This is really happening to me just randomly that I, that this is happening. I'm just giddy like a little boy the whole time. And I know it's hours of waiting, but I am just so happy. Um, yeah. So I get up there and that, what they don't show you is that that viewing area where that countdown clock is, is just like bleachers, like high school bleachers right next yeah. to this lake that is infested mm-hmm. with alligators, like <laughs> infested uh, because okay. it's a nature preserve. It's a, like a big preserve that they have. Yeah. There. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are very, and, and the bus driver is like, okay, here's the protocol. You must stay with the lights because there's just floodlights everywhere. Stay there. Mm. You will see eyeballs all over the place, you know, so make sure you don't get anywhere within 20 feet of the water, et cetera, et cetera. And sure enough, you look out there and there's eyeballs all over the lake, you know, the little glowing sure. things. So I stayed, yeah, yeah. I stayed in the thing. Uh, but you can see across the huge lake, you can see that you saw the shuttle up on, on the, the launch pad with the big rocket. The launch pad. And yeah. you hear mission control doing its, its pre-flight checks and et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like so happy. So the long story, the, the sad ending of this one is it did not launch that night because oh no, I know because of a lightning strike, like mm. three miles offline, off wait, and then they waited for two or an hour or so, ninety minutes. So we waited, and then they another lightning strike happened. So they they canceled the launch and they started doing a the post flight countdowns to do stuff, and then we we bust back out. So I never did get a C, but I can imagine still seeing in my mind what it would be like to light up the, the, the stars. And I was very, very happy just to be there and to be in that moment, to see what it would have been like. And kind mm. of, I still felt like I was part of the experience of what NASA is going into space. And Sure. I, yeah. I, you know, and the shuttles aren't there anymore. And it makes me even sadder because like you could, you know, we got to see with binoculars, you could see across the way and I could see it's about the size of maybe my my pinky fingernail is how far we were away mm. to see it, but you wow. could still see it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And being that close was just a really like gift to me still to this moment. N- not as cool as seeing necessarily that what you had saw there, but still being a NASA fan, it, it may be right. So watching things like for all mankind are, are kind of a little special thing for me as, as well as they sure. redo yeah. NASA in, in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Um, to, to yeah, I mean, kind of stuff. I mean, all that stuff is fascinating to me. I don't think you can be, you know, a sci-fi or or Star Trek fan and not have at least some some interest in and fascination uh, with it, right? Like mm. shows like The Expanse or right. um, the the movie The Martian. I remember watching that. Oh yeah, being yeah. like he's sitting in there and you can hear the like hissing sound of of air leaking out of the thing where he's put duct tape. It's, you know, I'm sure it's space duct tape. So it's something really <laughs> strong, but I'm still like, I'm like one rip in that like wall of plastic and he's done. He's done. He's, he's done. Doesn't it make you vacuum. wonder, doesn't it make you wonder how you can't, you know, you, you can't get a web page to load right half the time yet. They, you know, 60 years ago, got it, got, had these dummy terminals in front of them with big, huge ass buttons to work. Mechanically. I'm just I'm just looking at the readouts and I'm like, there's so many numbers here. I'm sure it means something to somebody. It's like when I, you know, people who aren't programmers look at the code I look at for work and they're like, what? Can you read that? You know, it's like the Matrix. Yeah. Um. And and kind and of somehow thing. they do. Like the, the math of it fascinates me because I, you know, in my work, I work with trial and error. I'm like, well, this. 
well, let me try this. And I try that and I refresh it and it doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, well, what if I do it this way instead? But there's, I mean, there's some of that, but mostly with, you know, rocket science or astrophysics, whatever <laughs> you call it, you know, they're doing this math, like they're coming around, they're orbiting around the earth and at just the right moment, they have to, and obviously they have like attitude thrusters for correction and stuff, but all of that takes fuel. And so they're like, at just the right moment, they're going to, they're going to burn this engine in the back and that's going to push them out of orbit just the right way so that they can head toward the moon and approach the moon at the right angle and the right speed so that they can go into orbit and not like blow past it and not crash into it. And all of <laughs> that insane. math, like there's all of this really precise math. And then uh, there's some like correction, right? Like you're driving a car, mm -hmm. you get close to it and you can tweak it a little bit, but like the forces involved are such that th you really have to do all those cal calculations first. I mean, uh, I mean, if there's proof that math works, it's that, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when when yeah. they yeah. figure out these things, and you, the fact that you can land on a dime, and they're like, "Oh, we're we're five feet off from our landing spot on the Sea of Tranquility," I'm like, I, mm. "Can you imagine the math and timing of the rotation of the Earth and planets and stars that go into that? It's insane." Ugh. Anyway, yeah. pe people are yeah. crazy. It's amazing. Uh, I, I'm glad we. I am glad to be living in the future in the time that we do. Like living 200 years from now, just looking up into the heavens and imagining what's possible is one thing. Seeing it, and knowing it, is totally another. Another. You know, I'm yeah grateful yeah. for it at, at every time. Uh, I, I'm still struggling through season two of For All Mankind, which we won't speak about because mm. can't stand. Yeah, we'll wait till you finish and then stand that. Problems and then room. talk about it. Talk about um, other th other things that I did quickly, um, I found a chain. I heard about this on the Omnibus podcast, and so I, I looked it up, and there are some in Texas. There is apparently a chain of Japanese uh, dollar store. Not, not quite dollar store. <laughs> okay. They're like a like a family dollar or, or dollar general kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as much food. It's just a bunch of imported stuff from Japan, and it's all super cheap. Like, cheap in price and probably cheaply made. But, you know, there's only, like, there are three around Houston and one one or two up in Dallas, I think. But I was like, I'm downtown in the city. This is the closest I'm going to get. I'm not going to drive my camper down here <laughs> to check out a Japanese, you know, dollar store or a hundred yen store yeah um but they had stuff like you know how um in anime or and i assume that the, the it this it's this way in anime because this way for real um in japan people take their shoes off yeah right whenever they come in and out but then when they're inside they have different shoes that they wear uh you see this in if you remember um fast and furious tokyo drift <laughs> sure uh, when he goes to the japanese school and he's got like white and blue like kind of goofy looking shoes on okay uh those are like indoor shoes that i've seen um uh, uh high school anime characters wear right anyway they have what to us would just look like really cheap slippers uh you know, hanging in different sizes. Unfortunately, I don't know if this is like a intentional thing because of 
average sizes or whatever. Like the largest size they have was still like a whole size too small for me. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, I wanted I wanted something because they were 150 yen, which is like a dollar fifty. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm like, even if these only last me a month, they're a dollar fifty. I've got to at least try them. <laughs> That's funny. And of course they're too small, but uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. And right next door to there, um, to that store was a uh, uh, conveyor belt sushi place. Okay. Which I've never been to, but I've seen photos and seen in shows. I didn't actually pull anything off the conveyor belt, though. By the time I left and was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I see how that works. They have some Psst, menu we, items that we, have prices. We have one in our Kroger here in Bloomington. With the with a conveyor belt? Yep, yep. Oh, crazy! Is it, right? is it new? That must that must be new. I think they maybe have shut it down. It's been so old. Oh, it's the other way around. Yeah. So anyway, this is laid out pretty tight. Like I was sitting in a space where two people could have sat facing the belt, and then they had a bunch of booths where you could maybe squeeze four people in, but it was really more like two. Okay. Um, on either side, and then there's a belt of stuff going around all the time. Um, and then there are touchscreen computers at the desk and so you tap through the menu and you find something you want and you hit order and then i don't quite know the technology of how this works whether the plates have magnets in them or something but there's another like smooth surface above the conveyor belt where the stuff you order will slide right out to you oh yeah and it's and it's pretty fast like i i ordered some kind of roll and i think it was less than a minute um, it came out. And so I just, and it's, um, some things you pay, uh, a price depending on what it is. If it's an appetizer, like I got miso soup and I got, um, mochi, mochi. Yep. Yeah. That like ice cream, it's not ice cream, but it's like, kind of like ice cream. Yeah. And then the rolls are portioned to be about the same. So if it's something really fancy, you'll have two rolls. If it's something more like a California roll, there'll be four. I tried to get a lot of stuff with like crab and other kinds of seafood because that was the whole, like I was going to get seafood. And I'm like, you know what? There's a sushi place and it's packed, crowded. Like I had to wait. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is obviously a popular place. And I saw a lot of not Asian people in there. So I was like, I can figure this out. If all of these people of different ethnicities can figure this out. I can figure this out. <laughs> and uh and it was really good. Like I had gotten seafood at like a um another just like Japanese restaurant in a in a shopping plaza up um north, well close to the the campground actually. Mm -hmm. Um and it was good, but this was like it was so fresh, right? Like they had just rolled it and made it and slid it out this thing to me. And, uh, and so that was really good. Nice. Um, what else did I do? So that's my, that's my traveling Tra travel log, like, like half our show with this travel. Um, nice. the other thing I did is I watched, uh, house of Gucci. The new, oh yeah. Uh, with in that, movie. uh, Lady Gaga or something in there. Lady Gaga is in that along with Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, uh, Adam Driver, were, were you Hayek. Gaga for Lady Gaga after it was over? Uh, that's that's good. Ter um, terrible, not terrible. It was a weird movie. Um, 
I can see why some people loved it and I can see why some people hated it. Um, the most kind of distracting, annoying thing to me was that everyone is doing kind of weird Italian accent mm-hmm. and there's no like, there's no consistency to it. Um, and Jared Leto is made up like, I don't even know how to describe him. I could send you a picture, but he looks like, um, he looks like Jeffrey Tambor in, in Arrested Development. <laughs> okay. But the, the one, the brother, uh, Oscar, who I think it's Oscar, who has hair, like yeah. he's bald, but he still has hair. Right. And I'm like, why didn't you get an old actor to play this part? Why did you get Jared Leto and make him up to look like to look uh, this guy, Paolo Gucci? Um, that was uh, that was weird. Um, was the story the good? La- or? Yeah, I mean, it was. it's basically just the story of their family and how there's some betrayal some double crossing some of the it's it's very like it's it's kind of soap opera ish right there's a lot of there's a lot of drama there's a lot of intense emotion the time jumps around and is a little hard to follow for me um it might make more sense to you know somebody who's i I know absolutely nothing about gucci or high fashion um and so maybe there are some like historic events uh there that that people might recognize but it was fine i didn't i didn't hate it yeah um i i uh don't know if i really had an interest to watch that one too much but i never never really been into the gucci enterprise yeah i it was you know for me it was just just something to watch yeah right yeah no i i did the same thing i watched um uh oh what was it that I watched just recently? Um, Murderville. That's uh, speaking mm. of. You were just talking about um, Arrested oh, Development. Oh, Scott Job. Is that with yeah Will with Arnett. um with Will Arnett? I watched the first episode of that. Yeah, yeah. I watched. I think uh, Shelley and I are watching that one. We watched two episodes so far. We watched that first one, which has Conan O'Brien in it. Conan. And the yep. second one is Marshawn Lynch. And actually, Marshawn Lynch was probably better than Conan O'Brien. Um, okay. He, he was, yeah, he Conan, was fine. Yeah. I, I, I'm not quite sure like how the format is working. It's something, it seems like something new and maybe the, you know, every time, not every time, but very often when you're like, oh, here's a new thing. Here's the first time somebody's ever done this. There's always somebody, you know, in the background, like, yeah, Hey, what about, uh, what about, um, you know, you're like, yeah, Lost was the first time there was a, a big thing and everybody watched at the same time and fan theories and there's some guy in the back on like, yeah, what about Twin Peaks? And yeah. Like, right. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, like it's, it's this weird hybrid of like scripted television and improv. Um, right. Cause they're definitely improving. I mean, the, obviously the, the guest star is improving, but the guest so star is improving. And so, yeah, you're like, who's, you know, there's sometimes people are, people are starting to break and i'm like what is this it's not sketch comedy it's not snl but it's also not the office it's not you know something scripted that just is you know so natural that it seems like improv yeah it, um it, it seems like it's fully based on will arnett like will arnett is mm, is the linchpin of that show like carrying you know, the oh carrying the weight yeah. like he he is put in the room 
given that I think some people have some scripted parts, like you have to say this, you have to say that because those are the clues, mm-hmm. right? That have to be sprinkled throughout the thing. Right. And this yeah. is your motivation. Type thing. Will Arnett is basically like you're in the room with the person for five minutes, make jokes and be funny. Right. And, mm. and, and I think that's basically all there is to it. One of the problems I'm finding with it, and I can't grant I'm only two episodes in, but it also feels in the previews of all the rest feels like, I don't know if the celebrities know what they're supposed to be, what their role on the show is. Mm. Right. I think they're told you're okay. supposed to come in here and go in blind. Uh, and that's all there is to it. Will Arnett's on here. I'm sure they met them in the cast. Like go into it. And then at the end, you're supposed to pick the murderer, right? You're, you're going right. to give options and pick the murderer. And that's all I, I think that they know, which is unfortunate. I think they should prep these people and say like, Hey, this is a comedy show. You know, and and you and be kind of funny and lean into it, mm. right? Because most of the time, like you know, with the Conan O'Brien thing, they just kind of seem to be standing around, not knowing what they're supposed to do, right? Sure. And 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 Will Arnett is trying to feed them and trying to make a, absurd. Also, they don't know. It feels like they don't know what kind of comedy. Like, should should they also be over the top? Or are they stealing? Yeah. Or are they stealing the the limelight? Are they not supposed to be stealing the limelight here? Are they the center of attention? Are they not? So it just felt like no one knows what they're supposed to do. Now, Marshawn Lynch was pretty good because he was he's I think he's generally kind of funny and was okay. just and kind of was just joking with uh, Will Arnett the whole time. Okay, uh, so it, it was uh it was a very casual joking, whereas Conan O'Brien is Conan O'Brien where he's kind of makes fun of a, of a situation. Right. Right. Most yeah. of the time. He has his, he has his particular style right. of comedy. I'm never quite sure how I feel about improv. Yeah. I think I like the idea of it and I hear, you know, like I listen to podcasts about the office and like some of the cast were actors and then a lot of them came from improv backgrounds, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between like, being on a show and improvising a line and then the writers or the director love it and and leave it in and full improv. Like I tried to watch that Netflix show with, um, I'm not going to remember the actor's names, but, um, the main guy from Silicon Valley. Yep. Yep. I know which one you're talking about. And then the guy from, um, stranger things, not, no, it wasn't stranger things. He's, he's from parks and rec. He's parks and rec. John Ralphio. John Ralphio. Right. Yeah. Um, I know his name too. And, and, and they're, they're me. both very good improv people. Like in that one, Tom Middleton is one of the other guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And middle, no, sorry. Middle witch or middle ditch or something like that. Middle ditch, just something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and Schwartz, Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz. Right. right and I, right there. I tried to watch that and it just was not, and maybe this is just the nature of improv and I might've just been in the wrong mood or, or headspace for it. But I was like, this what they're doing with the like you know pinging the crowd for for prompts and trying to do it and acting out i'm like none of this has worked for me this looks like the opposite of entertaining (laughs) right um and that could just be one bad experience like i know that uh the tv show whose line is it anyway Mm -hmm. ran for years and i never really watched much of it but i know that i've seen some of it and i'm like man how are these guys coming up with this stuff just you know off the top of their heads. And so I don't know if like with this murder, murderville, um, that they were trying to like, 
overtly avoid having, you know, really um, talented improv artists come on the show and they wanted more of a celebrity poker thing where they're yeah they're more amateurs like like obviously conan is a is a professional uh performer but there's a difference between you know there's a vast difference between even what he does and and improv like he's not a he's not an actor he's not a scripted you know actor yeah but there's a difference between like just playing off with banter and and doing full improv and and doing yeah like a scene with getting into yeah. character like conan plays right. himself as a comedian not he doesn't play a character i mean he plays whatever that character conan Bryan is but yeah yeah he he uh so i yeah i think of the two i've watched so far and we'll watch a few more cuz Chile and i seem to go like it's 30 minutes and there's like six of them or something um right. we um and we like will arnett enough the the um mm-hmm. I think honestly, unless they change throughout, they need to have improv people. Just what you were saying, like they need to have okay. improv people on those things because otherwise, it's just it's just like again, they're just standing around not knowing the role. They don't it's know their chaotic, character's motivation. They don't know what yeah. character they're supposed to inhabit, what the goal is, or anything. They're just standing around watching Will Arnett riff, right? Trying right. their best to riff off him. Now he's yeah, it's he's really be, good though. Like he's really funny in his things. It's right? got to be a weird balance because like if you've got somebody who's really good as the guest, mm-hmm. then it gets closer and closer to just being a normal show, right? A right. normal detective show, except with really obvious clues, so that somebody watching it for the first time can figure it out. Yeah, and probably occasional like what in a scripted show would look like mistakes. Right. So if it's like it's this weird it's a weird thing, right? Like if you go a full scripted show and there are a million of those, you know, scripted detective shows, and like that's all you know, thought out and you got a writer's room coming up with the twist and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got full improv like you would see on SNL or well, not I don't know, probably not full improv on SNL, but uh or whose line or whatever, when you expect it to be kind of chaotic and kind of you know have some mistakes and stuff and so they're trying to be closer to that where there are more mistakes there are more people breaking because it's more loose and if you get closer if it gets too good then it's just going to look like a bad normal show does that make sense yeah 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 but maybe i don't know like i said i've only seen one episode so well i I think uh, i think some of the best parts that of the few moments here that are that are, are really good are what are good in improv comedy is that when each person in the improv are one upping the other like making it an even more difficult situation for sure. the other person to react to where finally one of them has just breaks right and then you feel mm-hmm. the break character and they're like that is so over the top that I can't even continue and I and I start laughing right that that's yeah. the, that's yeah. kind of the goal that the audience theory hits the buzzer. Yeah, who who gets all the way through as much as they can. And it happens, you know, like two times I think I've seen it on this show so far. You know, like hmm. when there's one when Conan you know uh, uh Will Arnett overreacts to a magic trick type thing and freaks out oh. and, he, 
and Conan is like, no, he just loses nobody it. Does. Nobody <laughs> he, he breaks that way too. He's like, nobody reacts to card trick that that strongly. <laughs> that strongly, right? So, and yeah. and you can just see him. He's like, he, he, I, how do I react to that? How do I continue on with that kind of a right, a thing? Right. And Will Arnett is he does that. Will Arnett is just pushing that that over yeah. the top type stuff. But right. if they don't know they're supposed to be responding in kind, like improv artists do. Then, then they mm-hmm. just kind of—it's just Will Arnett acting kooky and crazy, and them going like, "I don't know what to do to what you just did," and it feels really awkward. Right. So, yeah, sure. that, that's what—that's what we did to pick up for for our random kind of thing. And eh, nice. it, yeah, well, well, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll let you know at the end of the season whether it was it gets better or sure. not. But you know, I would yeah. at this point I wouldn't recommend it to most people. Um, okay. So something else I wanted to talk about before we get into our show, which because we're going to cut it close on time otherwise. Is this this weekend? Uh, our buddy of the show, Bill Haig, um, had mm-hmm. mentioned to uh, a couple friends of ours to start. He picked up a game called Zenith: The Lost City for uh, Oculus VR. Okay, which is really a kind of out of character to him because it's actually an MMO in VR. It's one of the it's the, nice. one of the first MMOs in VR. Um, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry about this thing." And it's like a full thirty dollar game, which is you know kind of expensive for a VR game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I looked into it. I actually had a little, little coupon, so I got it for $20. Um, and I, I look into it. And I'm like, wow, this, is, this sounds like it's got all actual MMO stuff minus a subscription. I just got a fee and then you play. Um, okay. we're like, well, that's a, that's all sorts of bonuses for that. If it's got even close to like what experiencing what an MMO might be, but in VR, then I'll give it a shot. Um, mm-hmm. We played every day this last weekend until like two in the morning. Uh, <laughs> granted, we, we we started at like nine o'clock at night, but still, hmm. oh my gosh, it's it's really good. Um, it does it, it it you know you play VR these days and you kind of ex- expect this neat. It, there's some kind of neat experience that you're going to experience in a game, but it'll do like one thing really well. Like Beat Saber does what it does really well, sure. but it doesn't do any more. Right, you'll you'll add new songs right. or whatever. You're just hitting things with lightsabers, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of the VR things have been like that. You know, where, where they've got some good game, but it just does that one thing. But MMOs are many things, right? It's it's combat mixed with quests, mixed with talents of of character and classes and races mm-hmm. and cooking and trade skills and and inventory. Like, there's a lot to MMOs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and this has a whole lot of that, um, in VR and really well done. So, um, I, I would suggest go looking at, I'm not going to go too much into it cause you can go look at videos for it. Um, sure. but you know, it, it has the, the long and short of it is it starts with you pick melee or, or, or mage, right? That's your first thing. Mm-hmm. And then each one of those you, within those you pick tank DPS or, uh, support again, very basic MMO things, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you can have a mage tank or a melee tank, and then the skills and abilities and powers you get are tanky mage centered powers. Like I actually picked a mage tank. Um, and so what you get as a power, for example, is like you, you, it's a sci-fi, it's kind of a sci-fi MMO FYI with elves and things and, and goblins. Um, is you have two guns 
they're like blasters or something or sci-fi blasters that go on your wrists and they you grab them from your hips i'm doing i'm motioning it like you can see me <laughs> uh, you grab them from your hips and then each class slash subclass or role combination has different abilities with those things mine happens to be as a tank like a, a, a medium ranged laser that kind of shoots out of both hands so it will do like i can and it's got a ammo so we'll just you know run out of ammo at a certain point which which i have to let it cool down and come back up uh, whereas mages have shoot ice bolts out in a quick like machine gun pattern or charge up and shoot an ice blast out okay that's that's a basic thing that you get and you can mm-hmm. get different weapons mm-hmm. that do different stuff sure um and then as you level up skills you get are like so as i'm a spellcaster, so i haven't played a, a melee yet but um i will hold down the grip button which is like my I don't know, middle finger on grip to grab something mm-hmm. and then swipe downwards. Like, right. I just swipe downwards and that will cause like an eruption of lava around me. Right. That, that slows all enemies around me. So I'm, I'm shooting these guys with these guns at my, at my, uh, from my hip that I've grabbed from my hip holster. And then I grab them with my thing and then slam down. And then all of a sudden it casts a spell and erupts around me. Um, and then later on I'll get one that, um, if I just pull my trigger, a, like a, a shooting trigger, uh, a mm-hmm. ball will appear in my hand and I can toss it and it'll cause chains to wrap around all enemies in, in it, that it hits as wherever okay. I throw it in the distance. And then mm-hmm. I can do the grab grip and cast up like I'm pulling the chains in and they will all come running to me. Like you pull the chains in. Uh, so it feels like you're playing an MMO, but actually being the tank, right? Okay. Okay. Eventually I got to like a certain level where I got my actual role ability which is my tank ability and i do the wonder woman thing like i grab my 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 two controllers i push in the the grips and then i do the uh cross your hands in an x at the at the wrists type thing yep yep. and then Mm -hmm. as soon as you do that and kind of hit them together dr strange shields appear on your hands so those those golden circles you know it was yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. and then i use those to actual like block swings and attacks from the monsters so nice, which is really, really cool. So we, we, we did a dungeon, a, a group dungeon we got into and the mages are like doing incantation spells in the air to cast fireballs and, and ice things and earthquake stuff while I'm doing my uh, Dr. Strange shields and trying to block a swing that comes from the left, block one that's above, you know, and then I, I chain them with my spell chain so that they can't get to the mages it's just like a real MMO, but you're doing the thing. You know, like that's, it, it's really, really cool. I mean, it, it's very, nice. very cool. And then you have quests and towns and there's, there's cooking. When you do, we've done cooking so far. You have to, uh, I made cookies. So you grab milk off the shelf, you put it in a pot and then you have to turn it to the right temperature. And then you see the timer and you pull it off the pot when it's, <laughs> you know, turned into a ball, you get the roux, you put it, flour into a skillet and you're flipping the flipping it like a roux you actually take your skillet mm-hmm. and flip it up and flip right. the the roux over and then but not too long because you'll burn it and then you put yeah. it in the pot and it turns into a cookie you're like wow that was really fun to make a cookie <laughs> which gives you buffs um so and then you make slushies and slushy machines and it's it's a full complete mmo experience in vr so we're we're really hooked right now even when I'm talking about it i have that Thing that you know you get when you played World of Warcraft, like I want to play it again. I want to go to that next world, right. you know, continue yeah. on. Um, that's I still have that feeling. Like all day, I've been thinking about, like, man, I want to get in there and try this thing and try that thing. 
right. last thing I'll say about it was I wanted to say about the classes that you can actually change your class in the middle of the game. So I'm tank, like a mage tank. I can change okay. my from tank to healer, and it starts like it starts back at level one for healer. So I have two. I have separate levels for those. So mm-hmm. my my one character can be can level up its multiple roles, which is pr- pretty fun for playing with friends you know like oh we actually need a healer today so i'm gonna switch over to my healer and then level that up with you Mm -hmm. which is pretty pretty cool and we're really having a good time with it and people who aren't mmo players are still playing oh the people are really nice too it's you can turn off global chat but global chat's an area around you so you have people walk by and say hey and they'll heal you or throw things by you so instead of just having general talk chat which is terrible with baron's chat You'll get a random person come by and say, hey, do you know where the, the goblin can is? I have to kill to get this goblin and get his thing. You're like, oh, yeah, man, it's right around that corner on that chest over there. And you're mm. like, oh, that's cool, you know. Or do you know how I'll say, like, how do I get that panda up there? And he's like, oh, you have to climb up the staircase right here, and he'll show you how to climb up the tree. And like, that's been really kind of neat. Uh, so nice. It's got guilds and all that kind of stuff. but Sure. Uh, it's really fun. Okay, so anyway, the VR is 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 here to stay. <laughs> uh, okay, so this movie this week, what do we got? We got uh, Twelve Monkeys. Yes, Twelve Monkeys. Let's let's talk about some Twelve Monkeys. All right, I once again don't have IMDb in front of me. Uh, we watched Twelve Monkeys, as mentioned. It's from nineteen ninety five. Directed by Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame. It's back when you were uh, in high school, right? Back when I was in high school, starring Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe. Also and, and, Brad Pitt. Yeah. For, for a movie and, that people don't talk about, it's got like 90% in both uh, audience and uh, uh, viewer score, which is weird that nobody talks about this this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird for sure. Who I don't. I don't see in the credits because I'm drawing a, bl- a blank. Is uh, uh, Christopher Plummer? I mean, his part is really small, so I'm maybe not surprised that he doesn't show up in the top cast. But sure, um, he's playing the doctor. Father, uh, yeah, he's playing um, Brad uh, Pitt's father. Brad Pitt's dad. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was drawing a blank on Brad Pitt. Uh, yeah. So, so I've seen I'm this gonna... one, and you haven't. You want to talk about what you thought? Yeah. Not having seen this ever. Yeah, this I didn't know what to expect with this. Um Right. It's... For for some reason I thought it was newer than it is. Not new, but I thought it was like early 2000s. Oh, but okay. it's not. Yeah. It's it's very 90s. It, yep, and, feels 90s. Um based on a French film, um Le Jeté. I'm not saying that right. Uh the, the the French title is the pier, okay. Um, like the dock, which is yeah. interesting. And as as I was watching it, I was watching for the like Monty Python kind of things, and also French kind of things, okay. Um, and so I kept noticing usage of things like what we call Dutch angle or Dutch tilt. That's when oh. the camera is deliberately pointed at a diagonal uh to convey a sense of disorientation 
and oh, uh, that would make sense here in this movie. Yeah, uh, it's used heavily uh, and and you know fairly fairly effectively. Um, I don't know. So I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, right. Uh, except you, you had said something about virus, and there's a title scroll. There's some text mm-hmm. um, at the beginning to give you kind of some idea what's going on. Um, but it has that feel of, you know, I say it's very 90s, and uh, there are a lot of things about it that are very 90s. I mean, it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. part of it is set in the 90s. It feels like um, how the 90s thought of the future, too, right? Like the weird. Yeah, part of part of that. So you've got some like, uh, you know, everything before the Matrix, right? Like the yeah. Matrix was sort of a turning point in sci-fi. Uh you know, you've got the like, and this is what I mean when I said that it's not really, it's not really 90s. A lot of it's very 90s, but there are a lot of things, especially in the future scenes, that feel more 80s than 90s. Oh, yeah, sure. It's like, okay, I get that, yeah. Maybe, It almost you know, feels, Terry, uh, what, what's that, Blade Runner-ish. Like Blade Runner, um, I don't know when Fifth Element came out. I think that was all, already into the 90s. Um, but yeah, like Brazil or, um, as you said, Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. there are other examples that are of course not coming to me, but because it goes from future, it goes through multiple timelines, right? Yeah, it goes, it goes through multiple timelines and I, I don't know if I was not paying attention at the right moments, but I was confused early on. And I think, I think that's intentional. Like you're supposed to feel a little like, they tell him that he should volunteer. And I don't know what um, the 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 meetings with him and the scientists in the future, especially at the beginning with the big orb with all the little screens on it. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of something, but I couldn't tell you what it was. I was yeah. like, this looks like some other. It's like the earliest, maybe not the earliest, but like attempts in the 70s and 80s to adapt um, classic sci-fi, right? Like... Um, um, Philip K. Dick or or Isaac Asimov kind of sci-fi. Um, do you want to hit the bell on this? I don't oh, know. Is it, you're kind of skirting around. <laughs> you're trying to skirting around getting specifics. I can tell. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, because I went into it knowing nothing, uh, there were a lot of things that sort of were. Yeah, you, were that's one of the problems with with describing this movie, though, is that like, you can't tell them almost anything about it. Yeah. You can't. You know. You can't. Okay. So I'm gonna hit the bell. Go ahead and skip ahead if you uh, don't want to get spoiled on 12 Monkeys. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the the scientists in the future send him back. It's always interesting to me to see uh, sci-fi done differently, mm-hmm. right? Because, uh, you know, everybody does, like, the Back to the Future or the, you know, all the various things that, that happen in Doctor Who. It's like we're doing time travel and so yes you know time travel is a sort of superpower but we're going to constrain it by these rules right so that it's not because if your superpower is too powerful there are no stakes in your story there's no dramatic tension uh the the thing that's different about this story and it's not fully unique right like um you know i've seen different there's a there's a time travel movie with um Vincent D'Onofrio and I want to say Marissa Tomei, which is funny sort of uh, MCU 
uh, crossover. Mm-hmm. Those are both, even though I don't think Kingpin and 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 uh, Aunt May ever interact, right. but uh, they're both in the New York street level uh, the part of uh, MCU, right. where he has come back in time from the future, but you never see the future. And it's just sort of assumed by most people that he's just a little, um, a little out there. Like whether he he's looks making crazy, it up, crazy. Yeah, right, yeah. he sounds crazy, right? Like either either he's making it up or he really believes it and he's a little delusional. But it's it's you, more it's believable. But you think everybody would think he's crazy, right? Yeah. Right, and it's that it's that thing where you're like, oh, if you went back, you're like, boy, I wish I could go back and. Do th- and like, but what if you did? Like, would people you have? And they talk about that in this movie, the Cassandra uh, complex. Like, you know the future, but you know nobody will believe you. So, um, right. you know, you have this curse of of knowing. Um, and which drives him? They talk, they talk about driving you crazy, which kind of drives him crazy. And it kind of does fights, drive yeah. him crazy. He has a he has a sort of um, not existential. What's uh, I don't know if gaslighting is the right thing, but like he he loses track of what's real, like which which place, which reality is real. Yeah. Um, And the movie is giving you just enough of scenes and bits and pieces like it's this story about the future. But just like uh, just like Terminator. Most of the movie happens in the quote unquote present. Right or for him the past and for us obviously right. the past. Well, that uh, whole line when he keeps talking about like 96. so 2006 is the future. He was like, no, 2006 is the past still, but right. now is the past. Be like, yeah, but that's the past for me. So it's like the future, but yeah. yeah. Which was interesting. Yeah, he he. Uh, I I found with this science done different thing. I thought what was interesting, or one of the many things we found interesting was that they use prisoners. Like they're they're not smart people and they're kind of you know dregs of society whatever obviously Mm -hmm. because their their teleportation stuff is as they say not definitely not an exact science um and and barely works and they just are just using them as disposable people um which causes also causes all sorts of problems when they go back like they want to escape or they want to have drugs and women and they don't do stuff and they want to live in the time so it's kind of like this terrible I don't know, cycle of terribleness, right? Yeah. Um, and then you finally get this one guy who isn't like the brightest bulb in the drawer, but he is still smarter than most, we think, right? He can at least get it together uh, enough to, like he says, to do the job. He's not going to leave. He's going to do the job. He's going to do the job. Right. Uh, uh, so, and then you run into Brad Pitt, which mm-hmm. I don't know. I just loved his, I just loved his Brad Pittness in this, in this show. Um, yeah, you've got some. I I looked at some of the trivia. Apparently, um, a lot of the actors um, did this movie pretty cheap because they wanted to work with Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilliam had a list of uh, of Bruce Willisisms for him to not do. Oh, really? Um, That's funny. One one the one mentioned in the trivia was some like uh, steely blue like stare some kind of smoldering <laughs> stare don't do a personal um, stare uh brad pitt when they cast him for this movie was relatively unknown mm-hmm. but like between that time and when this came out he did like legends of the fall and mm-hmm. um 
bunch we of did other fried things, green like tomatoes and fried green stuff. tomatoes. Uh, um, what else is 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 uh, uh, Fight Club? I don't I don't think Fight Club was quite yet, but it was, it was something like that. Like he had this whole list of movies, and now suddenly he's a, a fairly expensive actor. Yeah, uh, right. So when it came out, he he'd already you know done some stuff, but even then, like yeah, he was he also seven released in the same year. Or the interview with the seven. vampire was probably yeah. the big thing. Interview with the vampire, that. seven. River yeah. runs through it. He, he had he had kind of mm-hmm. Thelma and Louise, uh, not fried green tomatoes. It was Thelma and Louise. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he but here here even then was another thing that launched him into like real acting, right? I mean, he, right. he had done some more real yeah. acting, but even this one is like, okay, he's not just good looking lover boy. Like you know, he's complete mental case or yeah there's actually more um you talk about actors and you know like seeing them uh branch out like seeing them do different things there's more variety in his earlier acting work like i think Mm -hmm. as he went on and i'm sure there's so we probably just don't see it um but uh that that over time he he got sort of um solidified into a certain type of role that he did yep. um that he did more and more i think that's um, why he he liked wanting to do that, that tarantino movie um mm. be, because he could play a different type you know and and also be, mm-hmm. be second second not like main leading person he was second person to right. leonardo dicaprio so i think that's one of those like hey you can go back to how he used to do where he is here he's clearly uh he's a leading man brad pitt's leading man material but he's second person to um, uh, Bruce Willis here. Bruce Willis, right? yeah. So, but still being able to, when he has his scenes, he is doing the scenes like nobody else could do those scenes, right? Um, yeah. Which were fantastic. Um, so yeah, this, this, is, this is probably my favorite. I don't know. Fight Club's pretty great. But uh, my favorite Brad Pitt movie, just because er- just every time he talks on the screen... Not only is he like entertaining and great, and the way he delivers every line, the way it's supposed to be delivered, is incredible. He he has like he goes back and forth when he's talking about his dad, right? And then mm-hmm. when he's at his dad's, and he talks to the the guards, and he's clearly cr- crazy, but he right. can seem to like tone it down when he wants, or is he manipulative and crazy? He's he's both. He's all those kind of things. So. Mm. And then him also being the red herring, right? He's he's not the actual cause of the, the thing. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Like the way it was filmed in the in the flashback, flash forward, the ending. I liked the ending, but it felt a little dragged out, and that might just be me, you know, watching it from a you know a modern perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I needed quite so long a shot on young Bruce Willis. Like, I got it. Yeah. I understood it. It's him. Um, yeah. That goes there for a long time. Uh, when I saw that the ponytail guy was not Brad Pitt, because you're, you're supposed to think that it's Brad Pitt. And, like, I was distracted by Madeline Stowe in those flashbacks because I'm like, is that another? We haven't seen her. Is that the movie? Because she looks so different with the blonde uh, with the blonde wig. And then... And when she walks out with it on in the airport, you're like... <gasps> This is this is it. Right, right. Yeah. And it's some of that is like, you know, I don't know what this was like to watch at the time, but I'm like, 
okay, I'm putting these pieces together. Like I, I say every time that I, um, sometimes don't give movies enough attention while mm-hmm. I'm watching them. Uh, but I watched this one, you know, with, I did have my phone, but I, you know, tried to not pull it out too often. Mm-hmm. Um, and was watching because I'm like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. And most of it's visual. You, you do have to and watch so it. You're right. You have to I need attention. to be paying attention. But I'm like, oh, there's this. Okay. So at some point, this is how this is going to end. Like, they're going to get to this point and And she's going to get to where he saw her as a boy because of the time. And then, like, the more it went out, it's like, okay, so here it comes. And then she's going to, like, you know, they make the phone call and he figures out that, they really you know both of the worlds are real and the thing with the voicemail is real because she leaves the message and he remembers it and then same thing with his buddy and then you know they're running away and i'm like okay somewhere they've got to get to a point where she becomes blonde either she dyes her hair i wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting a wig i was expecting her to dye her hair because that's the stereotypical like person on the run you know dyes their hair cuts their hair right and but he's surprised by that and then it goes and you see the guy and it's not it's not Brad Pitt it's it's David Morse who was in i remember him as George Washington in the in the um uh Sam not Sam Adams uh John Adams um oh right uh, Sam Adams was his brother and also the beer um the John Adams miniseries uh David Morse played George Washington oh. um and i saw his scene early in the movie right when it's like it's kind of blatant foreshadowing but there's so much else going on with her like presentation and her theories and and people you know she's signing her book yeah yeah that you're like oh yeah of course there are going to be a lot of a lot of weirdos and he he comes up to her and is like don't you think it's a thing that we you know it's it's really mankind that's that's a thing and whatever and like somebody else talks to her and so she doesn't really respond to him and then another old guy comes up and he's like i wonder if you're familiar with the research that i've done and i'm like oh man she's just attracting all kinds of weirdos (laughs) weirdos right with these theories about you know over time and anthropology and all that stuff and let me tell you watching this through the second time one of my things about the second time is like all that stuff all clicked like i sure you know I, i hadn't seen it since the late 90s but when I saw, because I, I knew what was going to happen, that mm. guy coming out there, I was able to see like, oh, that's a, that's clearly a creepy guy, but he's smiling. He's not aggressive, right. but he's still weird, right? right. It, it wasn't weird enough for me to give it away, and I could appreciate that performance in the way, on both of them, like that she wasn't looking at him, and the, the camera wasn't well, yeah, too yeah, much for, on him. For me, it was two things. I was like, okay, I recognize that actor, and that was a weird scene but then there are other like i said the old guy comes up after him and i'm like okay yeah it's just it's just weird guys so then when he shows up at the end i'm like what's what's gonna happen and it's like every time travel thing where you're like uh you know maybe they're gonna do it maybe they're gonna change change it you're like but you can't like you know that's the whole thing with the with the time paradox i was also distracted when he thinks he thinks that he gave Brad Pitt the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, I'm like, okay, except that's a paradox. Like he can't come from the future he made which, to make which makes him that, go crazy. The, like he goes crazy right. then, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's I mean that's the thing about time paradoxes. Yeah, he, he that's um, when he he like he locks her in that uh, that car and he comes out and then he starts thinking about that and he's like I caused it and then I, but I did but maybe I stay here and then he just starts to lose his mind and that's when right. they, they bring him yeah. back in. Um, yeah. So, which which I appreciated like that they they it kind of felt like especially watching this in the late nineties like a really good a really good example of a different time travel story like then then i was right. used to at least like like you yeah. said how the different ways people tell stories and especially for this time in the 90s and they've probably done some other you know good time travel things for but w- with a person who's not a super scientist or a super soldier going back in time or any kind of thing like putting somebody barely mentally s- stable as it is in in the back mm. with other mentally unstable things with and a weird thing trying to save the world and not knowing exactly no one knows what they're supposed to do and then paradoxes and then it ends up the way it ends where like it's supposed to end that way causing the future and the ultimate stuff is that you know even if we have time travel we can't it's one timeline right mm-hmm. it's it's going back in the time to kill hitler would end up you not killing Hitler and him dying and Germany still losing the exact same way it does. Whatever you do to go back would still end up being the same exact way. Right. You know, and you would just be part of that history somehow that we didn't realize. Um, yeah. So, so that, that, that show, this movie made me think that way. Like I just had to sit back after it was over and think, wow, that's a, a whole, like I always ready to accept a multiple multi timeline, multiverse type thing. But the opposite would be that there isn't. And this is telling that story. Yeah. Right. So cra- it's crazy. I, I coming out of spoilers. I, I watched it the second time through. Um, I enjoyed it. I actually liked that. I could, was able to watch it again because I could see I, knowing the way it goes and knowing the spoilerish parts of it. I was able to uh, see it. I got to appreciate the acting in it. Uh, to not give mm. things away. I get to, to uh, appreciate the directing in it to give enough clues, but not enough. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do in these movies that have things that you piece together. Um, mm. I give um, Harry Potter stories. all sorts of bad grief because the, the stories are written with zero clues and tons of red herrings that the, by the end, it's like, Oh, by the way, here's the end. And we don't really ever told you anything about that. Every yeah. book, everything. And I give her all sorts of crap. Um, and so on that side, I have to say this movie was the opposite of that, where I got enough of what I needed to do. If I was really, really trying to piece things together, I would have figured it out. And I think I did figure it out at the right time the first time through, but now watching it through Mm. the second time, I can see it all clearly and appreciate the way it was presented. Um, and then of course the performances are really great, um, all, all around of it. So I, I, I definitely still give it a thumbs up and I would recommend it to other people too. Anyone wants to do a, a mystery, a sci-fi, a time travel show. I would recommend it for all three of those things. Hmm. What about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's dated by today's standards in the, in the aesthetics of the future. And there aren't really a lot of special effects to be, I mean, I guess the, the transitions that happened are, are kind of as they could do it. Oh, they looked very healthy, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely different like it's a different you know if you if you like sci-fi and time travel stories this is this is a different one it's it's um would you, you call know, this a, a hard sci-fi not like space sci-fi n- well no <laughs> am i saying that wrong am i using that term wrong I, 
though that sounds like two different two different questions to me. I don't know that I that I have a clear definition in my head between hard and soft sci-fi. I think in in fantasy the and it's it's funny I've been listening to uh, Brandon Sanderson's writing lectures that he did at, at BYU. They're on YouTube. You can just watch them, which is mm. incredible. Um, he uses that divide to split between um, uh, fantasy or magic systems, whether they are more or less defined, right? Is the, is the, the split between hard and soft where like in Harry Potter, it's a little bit of a harder magic system where in Lord of the Rings, it's very soft. Yeah. You don't really know like what Gandalf can do and can't do. Mm-hmm. All those you said, uh, uh, um, J.K. Rowling is was fond of uh, Deus Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I would call this soft sci-fi. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Very, very little of the future is seen, and True. the the technology they don't really talk about the technology at all. It's really just oh, that's a, true. You're right. You're right. Yeah, sort of a sort of a framing device for um, for the story. For the story, right? So yeah, I would I would recommend this with with those caveats, like if that's caveats, if that's what you're looking for. And yeah, th- this would not be something that I think like my fiance Shelley would like. She like the true kind, yeah, of triumph yeah. kind of person. But but I, if you're a, if you're a sci-fi person, th- I think this is a good one for you. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, so you get to pick. We didn't talk about this before beforehand. Have you have oh, you yeah, thought about this this next week? Running long. I looked I looked at the list and thought I had a pick. Let's do something completely different and watch The Majestic. This is something I recently added to our list because we were talking about something, and I was like, "Oh, the thing with the with the movie." I don't. I don't think I've seen this. With the so movies, that that will that will be good. It's, you say it's about movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, sort of. Uh, it's been a long time since I saw this, but it's it's a little bit about Hollywood in the the golden era and with some mccarthyism thrown in there i've, I've done so much la and hollywood studying in the last month i that's probably why we'll and i'll wrap our, it right into it probably in all our talks about about hollywood and, and screenwriting right all right we won we all win right. saved all those lives today all right you've been listening to the front porches episode 232 Special thanks to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. If you have suggestions for things that you think we should watch and discuss, you can send us those via email. Our address is frontporchpod at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, and use contact forms there. If you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And while you're there, if you leave us a review, we always appreciate that. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.